Um, Titus 2, what a, what a great passage as we continue to talk about the thrust of this book from Scripture, which is, what does it mean to live together as God's holy people? There's a lot in that, that just that phrase, um, together jumps out, uh, as God's people, uh, his holy people set apart for him, what does that look like to live together and to serve together? Titus gives us a sensational picture of this. And so, because it's one thing to lead people into a personal relationship with Christ, it starts there. It's fundamental, it's basic, it all starts there. It's what we do in evangelism. But we're never given the mandate to leave them there. We're never given the mandate to, to bring them to the cross, have them saved, and say, go get them. <laughs> Scripture calls us to something more than that. We're to disciple people in the arena of the fellowship of believers in the church of Jesus Christ. That Christians individually know not only what to believe, but how to behave. So they can model to a, a community they live in and to the workplace you work what it looks like to follow Jesus. What a love relationship with Christ looks like. And Paul's insistent on this necessity to train God's people. Follow along the first ten verses of chapter 2 and you'll see this heartbeat of his. He says, but as for you, speak to things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, Workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that these are your words, not man's. Being that they're yours, Lord, we know they carry authority, your authority. And God, we want to uh, not only know them, Lord, we want to apply them and live them out because we know when we do that, God, we worship you. We honor you. And certainly we communicate to a watching community the reality of you at work in our life. And so teach us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As you, you, we read that, you probably picked up on the various groups that Titus was to encourage, Titus was to instruct. And it was not really the elder's responsibility to make people learn. They were to make the teaching available so if there was any degree of hunger or interest in the people at all, they'll want to be a part of it. And that's really the reality of leadership. I think sometimes it's easy to carry on uh, certain things that aren't, but I think God's saying uh, through Paul to Titus, listen, you need to make sure there's some things that are happening in this church, this, my very own people. Teach them. Encourage them. 
with, I'm sure, the understanding that there's some who won't follow through on it. And so this is really challenging to all of us because it challenged us to say, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to apply it? And that's really what kind of gets to the intent of the training. The intent, or why was it taught? What, what was the purpose of the teaching efforts that Titus was to have? One there is to clarify what was sound. If you look at verse 1, it was to clarify what is healthy and unhealthy. And the responsibility that rests on those who oversee the church, remember he's already talked about elders here, was to make sure people had every opportunity to understand the difference between healthy and unhealthy. There are a variety of opinions offered, but it's leadership's job to make sure the people are taught to know what's healthy and what's unhealthy. And it's a long process because the reality is we're all learners. We must continually give ourselves to that. I don't know, to be quite honest, the more I personally study the Word of God, the more horrified I am at my ignorance of it. Um, it, it's, It's a lifelong learning process. It causes us to be aware of big holes in our theology. I'm alarmed by people who show little interest or involvement in sound teaching. Training is necessary to instruct. And we all have holes in our theology. None of us have this thing all figured out. We should be humble learners before God's feet. So they're to clarify what's sound, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. But they're also to emphasize what's suitable. Titus was to teach that they have their doctrine straight in their heads. Then they need to know what kind of behavior is becoming of that sound teaching. That word fitting is an interesting word. If you read, look at their verse 1. Things which are fitting. Other way of translating it is becoming. Now I've heard, not that I've caught up in the fashion world necessarily, but I've heard that there's some patterns and fabrics that are very becoming to people and some that are not. We're told certain body shapes, certain height, all those different things, certain directional stripes accentuate what does not need accentuating, vice versa, certain length cuts. I don't know how it all works, but the word that's used is becoming. We would say to a a woman, "You're, you're very becoming in that dress. You look very becoming. It's an old English word, actually. That's uh, used quite often. And point, Paul's point to Titus is this. When you have taught the people sound teaching, train them in such a way that it's becoming, that it's suitable to the teaching you've taught them. They are to adorn themselves with behavior that conforms with sound doctrine. doctrine. They're to be suitable in their behavior. Emphasize those things. And there is in all Christian teaching a link between theology and ethics, Christian profession and Christian performance, and application of Christian belief is called Christian behavior. We are to apply teaching because it's one thing to get the teaching right. It's another to get the behavior right. And I've seen far too many kind of tip the scales and say, I I got this down and I figured this all out, but totally ignoring the behavior part of it. And I've had others kind of on the other end of the spectrum say, well, it's just all about behaving. It really doesn't matter that I know any of that. And so there's a disconnect, which Scripture doesn't make. And it's not just that they were to clarify what's sound or emphasize what's suitable. Paul's telling Titus, you need to encourage what's intentional. 
Now, if you look through these verses, there's, there's a phrase that's used. You see it in verse 5, the end of verse 5. She um, says to the, so that the word of God may not be dishonored. That, notice that, the word that. And then if you look at verse 6, to be. And those are like transition, they're important ones. It's used also in verse 10. And it's a little expression, and uh, there's an emphasis on teaching. For example, he uses slaves. They've been serving in the Christian community. They're getting this teaching, and Titus was also to train them in such a way that their lives, if you look at verse 10, will make their teaching attractive. End of verse 10, as you see it right there in chapter 2. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith that you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. What a great word, adorn. The word used here is to explain what you do with a jewel, to show it off. Now, if we know anything about that, if you have a jewel, you need to get someone who can cut it right, and you want to polish it, then you want to put it in a proper setting. That's kind of the Greek word here. In other words, the responsibility of those who train the Christian fellowship is to get the people to understand the doctrine, to so fit that doctrine into their lives that their lives become a proper setting for the jewel of truth. Make sense? So they're supposed to teach this doctrine and help them apply it to the point that it becomes like a jewel that adorns as they apply that truth and live it out. We present the reality of doctrine and theology and teaching by making sure that our lives are strategic presentations of that theology and teaching. A suitable setting for the jewel of truth. Let's be honest, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline and a whole lot of help. And the word is, it's called application. Applying it. it takes patience, teaching, training, and it's the responsibility of the church to provide that. And so as we talk about the intent of the training, we begin to see Paul telling Titus to the extent of the training, the goal, He's to mobilize and maintain, or I should mobilize and motivate the team. They were to reorganize his, God's church, and he says then you are to not only reorganize it, then you're to organize it in such a way that you can teach in varying levels and varying degrees. And so Paul divides the congregation in natural groupings, which shows that he is actually managing the people well. And he's telling Titus, he says, pay attention to the various groups in the church. They all need specific intentional instruction. You don't teach a, a young person the same you would an older woman or a younger woman the same you would a younger man. They're different groups. They're at different places. Be very intentional in the way you teach them, Titus. That's what he's trying to get to. Be intentional. Next, the extent of the training is that you would be very intentional with it. He says, model the truth. There are two principles overwhelming here, verse 7 through 8, is that they would model the truth. In all things, show yourself to be an example. There it is, that sense of modeling. Verse 8, sound in speech which is beyond reproach in order that the opponent may, not, may be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. And so there's this principle behind all of this as he speaks to all groups is that they would model truth. People have expectations and there, some feel pressure to be role models. I have and do face this. I received great counsel one time ago. I didn't write down who gave it to me, but it's certainly not original with me. 
It says we're called to be models, but not models of perfection, but models of growth. Dads, I hope you hear that. This is Father's Day, and I don't know about you, you wake up and, and, and some, I just, that sense of gratitude, Mark was sharing that earlier, but also that soberness, a reality that, you know, as I go through this life, I got one shot, my kids are stuck with me, I better do the best I can. But we're called to model truth, but, and, and maybe you get beat up over the mistakes, but model growth, that's what they need to see, model growth. That would imply you need to grow, imply you make mistakes. It's okay to let your kids see mistakes because they need to know how to handle them because they're going to make them. And so model growth, model the truth. He then gets to the content of the training. Not about you, but it seems we live in a world that's drowning in confusion about genders and roles. We have a very confused culture on what it means to be masculine and feminine. God's not confused even a little. And he wants to make sure the church isn't confused. And so he actually breaks this down very clearly. So we wouldn't be confused. Notice the groups. He starts in verse 2 with older men. Older men, just in case you weren't sure. You're to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. Has this idea of patience in there. Okay, perseverance. Our society certainly puts a premium on youth. Youthfulness in advertising. Many want to take their gray hair and turn it back to its natural color. There's guys like Derek and I, and we're like, no, forget it. We just, we can't even think about that. But Western society, I think, has lost sight of that, well, I'll call a mellow value of older age in the blaze of youth. In other words, there's things older men can teach that no one else can, not least to the degree they can. And I think our society is rapidly losing an asset of experience and maturity that's irreplaceable. And so Paul's dealing with a people who understand and make sure they understand that older men were to be respected. They required these older men to behave with dignity to behave with maturity appropriate to the maturing years. And he's not talking about stiffness, stuffiness, or grumpy or boring. He's talking about a behavior that had a clearly discernible spiritual quality. Let me say it again. He's talking about a behavior that has a clear, discernible spiritual quality. They were to be sound, robust in their faith, their love, and their endurance. And there's some people who are tempted to become increasingly self-centered in their later years. Paul wanted to remind these older men that they have a lot of love to give. And they should seek out those in need of love and support. And as older men, your energies, as they begin to wane and your influence seems to lessen, it's at that point it can actually have the greatest impact if you're aware of it and if you invest in relationships. And I know it's easily become discouraged. This must not happen. You must not quit. You must not become negative, cranky, self-absorbed. You must keep the faith. Encourage the next generation. And if you're an older man here, I don't know what age that number is. Depends who you talk to, I guess. Who are you building up? What younger men are specifically 
receiving from you encouragement and training. Every man should have an answer. Every older man here should have a couple faces that come to your mind. Certainly starting in your home with your children, but there better be more than that. Remember, he's talking to a church. Older men who rub shoulders with younger men. He's not talking about people at arm's length. He's, this is a family together as God's very own people. Older men. Here's what he says again. Be, older men, you are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Persevere. Be patient with younger men. They're going to screw up just like you did when you were younger. But don't become grumpy. Be robust in your faith. Go down guns blazing. Building into the next generation. Well, then he, verse 3, talks about older women. Now, Paul's no dummy. He mentions no age. We'll let them figure that out. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what's good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. And we'll get to that next one. Older women. He's, he's very forthright here, isn't he, in his instructions. And it seems his instructions fall into two categories. The first category is to warn them of weakness, and then he wants them to channel their energies into constructiveness. Now, apparently the older women were spending their time in slanderous gossip, which is a problem, because to live together as God's very own people, this ought not be for anyone. But it certainly seemed in Paul's case, in Crete, there was not only slanderous gossip that seemed to be taking place, you can almost picture a group of older women together and talking about how this, that, and everything, and that, that resulted in slanderous behavior. And if that wasn't enough, he said, then we got a problem with your drinking. And he dresses both things. I found that very interesting. But if you put the two together, what, what's really the principle behind it? Carelessness. They were becoming very careless in what they said and how they behaved. They're not to be malicious gossips. That's careless. That's harmful. Nor enslaved to much wine. Paul's not telling Titus they're not, it's, it's wrong for them to even have a glass of wine. The key word is much here. They're not to be careless in how they approach these things. They need to be channeled into constructiveness, which we read in verse 4. What's the constructive behavior there to get to? Encourage the young woman, women to love their husbands to love their children. That's what they're called to do. To do what's good, which is the end of verse 2, or end of verse 3, I think verse 4 is what he's referring to, partially is that's what's good. Encourage them to do what's that good. Their lives are being invested in a noble purpose, training younger women how to live out their faith. Obviously, it implies train young women not to gossip <laughs> or not to be addicted to much wine, but train them to do good, to love their husbands and love their children. There's supposed to be an intentionality of what older women can teach. And let's be honest, older women, you have a wealth of experience younger women don't. That's why he talks to younger women next. He seems to have a lot to say to younger women. They're obviously to love their husbands, love their children. Verse 5, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands that the word of God may not be dishonored. And so he gives instructions to these younger women. Now, 
to point this out before we get to younger men also, as we read younger, I'm not sure what goes through your head. 20s? 30s? 40s? Well, this would certainly include teenagers. So you're not off the hook. If you're 16, 17, better pay attention. This is talking to you, okay, right now. And you might not be married yet. In that culture, they got married a little younger. Um, You might not have children yet, but potentially you will. So you might want to pay attention to this. Um, Part of the verse is for those who are married and have children. And it appears at first sight, as you read it, that would really be unnecessary to train women to do this. I mean, isn't it obvious? Love your husband, love your children. I mean, isn't that like a no-brainer? You know what? In a culture that spells out love with the word feeling, it's always been the case. It's always been the case where people will look at this love and say, well, I just don't feel like I love them, so I'm going to leave them. I don't really feel like I love them. I mean, look at our culture, how many times you read of of women just leaving their families. It's astounding the number and how much it seems to be increasing. And so maybe this is more instructive than we realize. Maybe the older women need to teach the younger women that love's not a feeling, it's a choice. There's times you may not feel like loving your husband, but you choose to. That's love. Anybody can do it when it feels good. And so maybe we need older women to model what it looks like to love your husband. Not for what you can get, not for what they can give, but to love them, period. And who better to do that and model it than women who've done that for years? And so younger women ought to learn from older women what that looks like. What does it mean to love? Because we all need help in learning how to show love in practical ways. How to love when it's difficult. How do you love a wayward and rebellious child? How many young women have not known how to handle their anger and resentment against unfaithful, abusive, or maybe drunken husbands? What a challenging thing to do. Who's going to teach them? Who's going to come alongside them and help them process and know how to behave? Perhaps your young married woman with small children constantly demanding your attention. Maybe there's a husband less sensitive to your needs be prone to to venting her feelings in unhealthy ways, how great of an asset is it for a young woman to come to an older woman and say, I don't know how to do this. Man, I'm just screwing up. How do I do this? Help me. What an asset. I'm so grateful we have a women's mentoring ministry here. I'm so grateful for that. If you're a young woman and you're like, I I could really use that, Uh, come see me and I'll point you to Karen Nesson. Um, and I, there's a couple other ladies I'll point you to as well, that would be very helpful to you. There's a ministry called MOPS, Mothers of Preschools. What a great, great ministry. They're also told to be subject to their husbands. The word subject is a little intimidating to people. It's this idea of coming alongside your husband's loving leadership. Not getting ahead of them, not lagging behind. Come alongside their loving leadership. That's what it means, and It's rich. The husband and wife team. To me, it kind of seems that this gospel that they'd experienced brought about a new freedom. And I think that the church at this time really was struggling what that looked like as a wife who was free in that culture. Wife uh, oftentimes didn't have a, a lot of options, didn't have a lot of freedoms. But then the gospel came and saved them, and, and they had freedom in Christ and new life, and they were able to see the world through the eyes of grace. 
But then what does that look like to live it out? So these instructions became very important to help people know what it looks like to live out the gospel. Older ladies, younger women need godly examples. And so who are you building your life into? What are you teaching and modeling them? Are you careful and disciplined? And younger women, who are you seeking out? Who could help you? Be intentional in looking for somebody. Don't try to go it alone. Younger men. You get to verse 6. Likewise, urge younger men to be sensible. We might use the phrase to have common sense. To not be a knucklehead, if I can use Matt's translation. Be sensible. Use your head. How often do we say it to our teenage boys a lot, right? You're like, come on, just use your head. Would you um, think a little bit before you jump? Those type of statements. Be sensible. They're really to be taught that. Be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignifying, sound in speech, which is above reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Boy, there's a lot there. When you see the word sensible, think self-control. Boy, I'll tell you what, guys. If we can have self-control, that's going to go a long way, isn't it? Every man here is shaking their head thinking, oh, God, that's the key, man, self-control. Self-control in our speech, our behaviors, our decisions. If we can have self-control, that's that idea sensible. Young men, if you get a handle on that, the rest is going to come a whole lot easier. In the society of Paul's day, they had more freedoms again than women. The principle here is the more freedom granted, the more self-control is needed. I mean, we have people excuse careless behavior because of youthful exuberance. They're highly energetic. And they're often nice terms for irresponsible, destructive, and abusive behavior. We're to teach young men to be sensible, to be trained to be self-controlled, so that there's many temptations that they'll face, but they won't jump. They'll look first, look through the lens of Scripture, sound doctrine. Careful training of young men is essential so they can see things rightly and handle them. With so many fatherless homes, men need to step up to help the younger men learn to follow Jesus. Specifically, again, good deeds, purity and doctrine, dignity and speech. It's my conviction, after many years as a youth pastor and a pastor working with hundreds of young men, I'm convinced what's missing in so many lives today is a sense of destiny. That sink in. We don't have and haven't taught young men to think in terms of what is God's call on my life? What's he calling me to do? Instead, we have a generation of young men who are saying, okay, if I can get that job, I can buy that truck. I can get that kind of payment. I can buy that, and I can travel, and I can do all these things. And obviously, all those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But you're really going nowhere in terms of living out God's call if that's all your focus is. We need to give our young men a sense of destiny. Young men, you need to look beyond the moment and beyond the things you want to accumulate and get a sense of God's call. And this is where the older men can help you, to help you figure it out. What is God calling you to do? Who is he calling you to be? Where are you going? 
I know if you're a believer, you're saying, I'm going to heaven. Praise God, because it starts there. Because eternity is a long time. But what about why you walk here? You only got so many days. They're numbered. What are you going to do with them? Live with a sense of God's calling. Dream big enough to get you where you believe God wants you to be. And find a man who helps you live this way. Ask him to help you live that way with a sense of destiny and vision. He talks to a group of slaves, we could say the disadvantaged. Because if the gospel brought new status and opportunity to first century women, it also brought an emphasis on God's concern for the humble, the poor, and their exalted position in God's kingdom. Slaves were need to be taught to behave as spiritually free and to subject themselves voluntarily from their heart to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. They were not to be uncooperative. This would be shown in their desire to try to please their masters, a sense of employer and employee relationship. Because it was recognized they were spiritually free, they had new status, they'd be tempted maybe to talk back or walk away. We, uh, Dan taught us that from Philemon, that teaching. But note the higher purpose in it all, verse 10, the higher purpose of it all, that you would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Notice the correlation. The behavior, that you'd adorn the teaching, the doctrine, because they go hand in hand. Because to be the people God wants will require us all, every one of us, to be involved in each other's lives. Training and being trained. Discipling and being discipled. Mentoring and, being, and me- being mentored. Being engaged. He's writing to a church. He uses all these different groups. Why? Because he wants the church to recognize every believer is a part of this. This isn't just for some. If you're young, if you're old, you're part of the church. You need to be engaged in relationships because that's what we're called to be. Not lone rangers. Older men, older women, who can you encourage? Who can you pour your experience into? Who can you call to a greater destiny and greater life? Younger men, younger women, who can you seek out? Who can help you live out God's calling? Be humble enough to seek somebody out. Because to live together as God's very own people, so as to impact our community and world, we need to be a discipling church to all ages, all persons, that God brings our way. So together as God's very own people, let all of us be involved in discipleship so we can give praise to our King. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is an incredibly challenging passage. And often on Father's Day, we speak just to dads. That's fitting because certainly this text challenges every dad in here to build into their family and indeed build into other young men. To make careful choices of how they behave and how they act. But God, it speaks to everybody else in the body of Christ, young and old, to not only study and learn truth, but Lord, then to behave in such a way that is congruent with that truth, which is consistent with that truth. Lord, it's mentioned a couple times our speech. 
mentioned our attitudes. All those different things you really care about, God. Help us to care about them. Help us, God, to seek to bring our attitudes, our speech, our behaviors, our uh, decisions, our purposes, our future in line with your truth. Because, Lord, it seems when we do that, we become pretty attractive to a watching world. And so, Holy Spirit, cultivate that in the life of Elam. That every believer who calls this church their home would become engaged in ever-increasing ways. So we'd become the church you want us to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.